All right, I'm going to go ahead and pray. How many of you guys will agree with me tonight? Let's pray for the word of the Lord. We love God's word. So, Lord, as we come before you, in Jesus' name, through the blood of the Lamb, we pray over the word of the Lord. And, Lord, we thank you for your word today. Where would we be today without the word of God? We'd be floating off into some crazy deception. But, Lord, we thank you so much for your word that anchors us in truth. We love your word. And Lord, I pray tonight as I speak this word that you would anoint me and speak through me fresh with a fresh anointing, a fresh word tonight. And Lord, that this will go out like the parable of the seed and the sower. This will go out as living seeds that are sown into good soil. It's not going to fall on the rocks and all that. But Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, wherever people are at tonight, people may be hearing this on Facebook, hearing this live. You may be hearing this as a recording. But Lord, I pray for everyone that's hearing this, that the Holy Spirit will move upon all of us and touch our hearts and our minds and give us good soil and, and move upon us and help us just to get captivated, to give the Lord our best ear, our full attention, our focus, anoint our eyes and ears to be eyes and ears of the Spirit that we can see and we can hear what the Spirit is saying to us through his word. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that your word will go out and will be as those seeds landing in good soil, that your Holy Spirit water those seeds in every life to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, that your word will go out like a bright, shining light of truth and will dispel all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy and bring truth and revelation. Lord, let your word be a hammer that's going to break down every stronghold and a sword that's going to penetrate and get where it needs to go. And we ask you that your precious Holy Spirit will, like the winds of the Spirit of God blowing this seed among the nations, it'll go places we would have never thought. Let it be carried everywhere it needs to go. And Lord, we ask that your angels watch over the word of the Lord because the Bible says that the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So Lord, we agree together that anything of the devil that would try to hinder this word or steal the seed, in the name of Jesus, we bind you right now. We command you to back off in the name of Jesus. Lord, let your angels just clear away any hindrance. And Lord, we pray as this goes out, we stand on the promise your word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So Lord, we stand on that promise and we thank you for hearing and answering every prayer tonight, meeting every need, that this is going to go out. Everything's going to be said that needs to be said. And Lord, let it be thorough and powerful in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we get into the word of the Lord tonight, just for River of Life, what God has been speaking to me is that River of Life, please hear me, that I feel that God is going to continue to deepen his presence. He's going to continue to increase his anointing. Things are going to begin to increase this year. Um, just like when uh, Brother Benny Baker was with us, he saw just that God's want to expand the tent pegs. God's going to increase. But just like I shared in that first sermon, it was war, then there was victory, the war, then victory, war, then victory, and then Satan stood up. He was angry. And so anytime you continue to get victory and victory and victory and move forward and take ground, and there's an increase of the anointing and an increase of the glory of the Lord, you have to understand that the devil is not going to sit by idly without there being something that he's wanting to do. And so I'm trying to warn people to make sure and hear these sermons that there may be some warfare on the horizon, but I believe that if we're ready for it, and these sermons will get you ready, if you'll be a hearer and a doer of the word, 
these sermons will get you ready and I believe that it'll be fine and God will give us victory so that's what I feel from the Lord and so I, as I'm doing these sermons that's the heart behind them there's a warfare against the glory there's a warfare against the anointing also Satan hates the anointing he hates God's glory presence all right so what I'm going to deal with tonight is cleansing our lives many people accept Christ as their savior and I would sadly say that this in let's say just American Christianity as a whole just a broad stroke that probably 90% of people accept Christ as their savior they're born again and they they may to a degree deal with some things but probably the overwhelming majority of them never really deeply consecrate their lives they really deeply cleanse things and as a result later on those very things begin to crop up and to begin to be a real hindrance in their life that's why just about every church you go to you can see that there's people that they got saved they were on fire for God for a time but over time something happened to where they began to fall back into old patterns then they get out of church and they get away from the Lord they backslide and that is true so many times and the reason for that nine times out of ten is because the person has never really truly deeply consecrated their life unto God and let God deal with things to really purify them I mean knows there's a difference between just being saved and really being deeply consecrated unto God they're not the same thing the Bible says in Timothy that he said that uh, to be a vessel of honor and that had to do with really deeply consecrating your life unto God some people have never even heard things like this it's really sad but the Lord wants to set people free I believe that there is a place of all the pollution be purged even even things that have traveled down family lines things that people struggle with maybe their whole life Jesus paid the price that we can be free from these things we can be cleansed from these things and things that have gripped people's lives bondages strongholds that they can be truly delivered and anything demonic can be cleared away and sadly I think many times that people have never dealt with those things and it crops back up on them later in their Christian walk so what I want to deal with tonight guys and keep in mind the context of this series that God's put on my heart is to protect you in any coming warfare so a lot of times what happens is people will get a level of freedom and a level of victory in their life and it feels so good compared to where they were that they think I have arrived but they're not totally free yet they're just partially free and so with that in mind tonight let me read some scriptures 2nd Corinthians 7 1 therefore having these promises beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord now Paul's obviously talking to Christians but he says let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement so the responsibility here 
Paul was given to the Corinthians was that you cleanse yourself. So the responsibility in this scripture is on the individual to begin to examine their life. And understand that the Corinthians, these people that were coming out of a lot of sin, they were coming out of all kinds of things in the world, all kinds of sexual sin and idolatry and all kinds of bondage. And Paul was saying to them, listen, you have all these promises in Christ, but you need to make sure that you cleanse yourself of any defilement of spirit or flesh. Also, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely throughout your whole spirit, soul, and body to be preserved complete without blame at the coming of Lord Jesus Christ. And that can read from the Greek, be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord. So may the God of peace himself sanctify you throughout your whole spirit, soul, and body. So how many knows that sometimes somebody, their spirit or their soul or their body needs to be sanctified? There's things that we can do, but there's things that only God can do. And just like in Corinthians, Paul said, let us cleanse ourselves. Well, there are things that we can do. We've got to make the choice to forgive other people. We've got to make the decision to repent of things. We've got to make the first step to begin to pray about issues in our lives that we can see generational patterns or whatever it is that we came out of in our sinful past. We make the effort to do our part, but then there's an element in there that there's things that only God can really do. And as we begin to do our part, God begins to do his part. But it will come in layers and it will come in stages. That's why I'm trying to say, some people in River of Life, you gave your life to Jesus, and that alone right there, there was such a change. And then we have the, you know, the deliverance questionnaire people can fill out, and they can really go deeper, and people have done that. And then they'll tell me afterward, man, Pastor Scott, I feel so different. I feel like this big, I hear this all the time, all this big weight off me. I feel so clean. I feel so free. All these different adjectives, and it's awesome. But many times, just like the children of Israel, they went in to possess the promised land. And God told Israel, when Joshua took them in, he said that I'm going to give you this land a little by little so that the beasts of the field do not multiply against you. Let me explain that. They did, Israel did not have the numbers to go in and occupy the entire promised land initially. Are you following me? And if God had driven out every single enemy in unoccupied territory that Israel did not have the numbers to occupy, they didn't have the strength to occupy it yet, God said that the, the wild animals would multiply against them and it would actually be dangerous for them. Is this making sense? So God had to give Israel the promised land a little by little as they could handle it. In the same way, God begins to move in our lives and he gives us victory, but he gives us victory in stages where we go from glory to glory so that we can handle it. Some people, if he set them completely free, they would just end up falling right back into the things that they came out of. God has got to help them get strengthened. He'll set them free and then strengthen them 
then he'll strengthen them some more and bring more freedom then strengthen them some more and bring more freedom and you go from glory to glory until you reach a place where you're totally free but don't give up along the way how many people have been saved for years and then something comes up and god begins to really deal with that and help you get on the other side of that how many would say that you know what that was god was developing you and strengthening you and helping you get to a place now to where you can overcome that In Ephesians 5.25, Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So there is a washing and I'm going to show you this tonight as we go through all this, the patterns. But in the Old Testament pattern, I think you guys have seen this since you've been in River of Life. You can't really understand the New Testament unless you understand the first half. Okay? Some people want to understand the second half without, of the book without understanding the first half. It don't really work that well that way. So we get a lot of problems there. But everything under the old testament was a pattern a picture and type of what we have in the new and god gave under aaron he gave these priestly garments but now in christ we have priestly garments we're called to be priest unto god and the bible says that we're priest in christ who is our great high priest but christ has made us all priest unto god and we have these priestly garments that are spiritual garments, but we have to deal with any defilement on these garments. And let me just say something before I go on, because for the first several sermons, I dealt with pride. And I believe that that's the initial sin that we really need to deal with many times. Pride in the Bible is kind of seen as the mother of, of all other sins many times it's described like a yeast that swells and puffs up pride is a serious thing because even Lucifer being in the glory right by God himself fell into pride and many times I believe whenever the glory of God is in a place what Satan wants to do is he wants to attack through pride because that's been successful how many times in many places you've seen, you, many of you have been saved very long, you know what I'm talking about, God starts really powerfully moving somewhere, and then somebody gets lifted up with pride and begins to be rebellious against the leaders. Begins to go around gossiping and stirring up all kinds of problems, bringing all kinds of division. What's going on? Satan is trying to find a way in to stop the move of God. I've dealt with several issues of pride already, but let me just talk about one and then I'm going to move off of it, and that is in the area of selfish ambition and self-promotion. I think sometimes we have to be real careful because there's people that they don't probably see this, but one thing, one of the descriptions about Lucifer was that he looked at his own beauty and he began to be lifted up with pride based on his own beauty we have to be careful because sometimes people are very talented 
They can be very talented singers. And you have to be careful because there's sometimes that I've seen where it seems to me that the person is performing a lot more than they're really worshiping the Lord. And another thing, last week I read some scriptures and I talked about Satan. It says about him, it said Lucifer was wanting to raise his personal throne above the other stars. The other stars were other angels. They were other, his peers. How many times people have a root of iniquity of pride in them and they don't realize it's there, but they want to exalt themselves above their peers. When Jesus said, let the greatest among you be the least in the servant. You guys know what I'm talking about. Humble yourself under, other than the mighty hand of God and he'll raise you up. Jesus said, you know, gave a parable. If you go to a feast, sit at the lowest place and let the master promote you. Because if you sit yourself in the highest place, you're going to be humiliated in front of everybody when the master asks you to go down to a lower place. But I've seen this, you know, I've been around different people and I've seen sometimes maybe a young minister and I, that my wife and I maybe try to talk to because they got too caught up with trying to promote themselves and trying to promote their ministry and their name and make things happen. And it was all about appearances and performance and, and you see what I'm saying? It can become very prideful. It needs to be where we're just humble servants. I remember that a friend of mine, Dr. Larry Martin, well, I, I know him through the Brownsville Revival. I've, I've met him, we've talked, and we're not real close. But nonetheless, he's a great man of God. And he was saying that there was a man with him out on the mission field. And this guy came to minister. And here he was. He had a picture of him. And he was saying this guy was given like a cold bucket where he had to shave and wash and do everything to be on the mission field. And he was saying that he knows many ministers who would never do that because it's all about, you know, they have to have some kind of accommodations when they come. It's always grieved me whenever people kind of have an attitude that they're not going to go minister somewhere unless they have really posh, you know, accommodations. They're guaranteed a lot of money and all this type of thing. It's not about that. Amen? All right, so getting away from selfish ambition, self-promotion, trying to exalt oneself, trying to make a name for oneself. One of the books that really transformed my life in this area back in the 90s when I read it was a book called The Final Quest written by Rick Joyner. And I remember when I read that book, it just profoundly impacted me. When I say it was life-changing, it really, it, it really did change my life. It's not an exaggeration. But the things that Rick dealt with, he was, he was having these encounters where he, God was showing him things in heaven and, and, and he was shown how uh, the, the attitudes that he had previously had and it dealt with selfish ambition, it dealt with self-promotion, it dealt with the, the things he thought was so important here but are not important there. Living for what is important to the Lord, the motives of the heart. There was a wonderful missionary that I had the opportunity to go with a group and we were helping him. 
and he had been in the ministry for many years, and he said that uh, they had had a period of time, this was in Mexico, they had had a period of time where they had a great revival. And he was, a, he was just an amazing guy. When him and his wife went out there, he was telling me, he said, you know, we have these facilities now. But he said it was a lot easier before we did. He said there was a time my wife and I just had a backpack and just went wherever, and God met the need. We just walked around. But he said, now I've got to change the light bulb and fix the toilet every day, you know. But he was telling me there was a time that they had a, they had a great revival there and, and many people started coming. But one of the things he told me was he said that that motives of the heart are a really, really big deal with God. See, if you're not careful, you can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. Now we could go out tonight and somebody could see somebody out here in the parking lot and if, they, if the motive of one of our hearts was, I'm going to go talk to this person and witness, but in your heart you're saying, so that everybody will see me do this, you know. Then Jesus said, whenever they pat you on the back, you've got your reward right there right but things that are done in secret and it's not about what people think it's about what the king thinks it's nothing matters but what he thinks when you live that way and you you quit caring about the opinions of people so much pretty soon your life is more about what matters to the lord and what's going to matter in eternity and that is the motives of the heart Make sure that we're doing the right things, but that we're doing them for the right reasons. And I think that pride many times is one of the sins that has really defiled people. And they, they probably don't even realize it's there. I heard one preacher say that pride really is like bad breath. The person that has it is usually the last one to know. But we have to be careful with pride. So let me read a few more scriptures here. In Jude one twenty three, it says, Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. All right, so if you look on the, the back of the notes I gave you at the bottom, you'll see the priestly garments. Peter talked about the fact now hear what I'm saying tonight. Peter talked about the fact that we are priests unto God. I believe that personally after studying this out that Jesus talked about the wedding garments. I believe the wedding garments and the priestly garments are the same. I believe it's the same thing. And without doing a study on the garments because we don't have time but the, the layer of white had to do with righteousness and garments of salvation. When you accept Christ as your savior there is a robe of righteousness. The priest had to wear these undergarments. They were like pajama bottoms that had a drawstring. And they were called the breeches, but they had to wear them. And the Bible said if they were to go in before the Lord and walk up on the altar and they didn't have those on, that their nakedness would be exposed and that they would be killed. And so they had to wear these garments of salvation. Okay, And it covered them. And it was a robe of righteousness. 
and there was a turban on the head. You know, Bible talks about like the helmet of salvation. This is like a, a covering over the head area. And this white layer is when people accept Christ. But there were two other layers. The blue layer was the layer a lot of people are familiar with. And the blue layer is called the tunic. And the color blue speaks of coming down from heaven. And what the blue tunic on the bottom of it had bells and pomegranates. So it had the fruit, but it also had those bells that were ringing, which speaks of the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And what this blue tunic speaks of, remember Jesus said, go wait in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power. What the blue tunic speaks of is not a salvation experience now. Now you're going deeper, and now there's a baptism in the Holy Spirit, and there's a clothing of power from on high. And right around the neck area was really reinforced so that it could not be ripped or it couldn't be ripped easily. And the reason for that is because we're supposed to be very careful to not grieve the Holy Spirit. But this blue is a clothing of power. And then there was the gold layer. The golden ephod. And this golden ephod was like a vest that went over the very top of everything and in it there was these little shoulder pieces and it had a chain that went down to the breast piece and most people are pretty familiar with the breast piece on the the priestly garments and it had the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel which were on the heart covering the heart of the priest because he was always supposed to be praying for the people of God and it came from the shoulders. It was on his shoulders to be a prayer warrior. It was his responsibility. But that golden layer in the Bible, gold always speaks of divinity and it speaks of the glory of the Lord. And many of you guys that's been here very long, you know that you have felt God's glory at times. There's times when God's touched me with his glory and um, there's a weight. See, the glory comes from the Hebrew word chavod. In English, it would be K-A-V-O-D, chavod. And it implies a weightiness, a heaviness of God's presence. And I've had many times where God's touched me with his glory, and it's just this thick, weighty presence. Times you feel like you can't even move in the glory. But see, the priests of God are called to walk in righteousness, to walk in power, and to be able to minister in the glory of the Lord. And that clothing of power speaks of us operating, of course, in the fruit of the Spirit, but also the gifts. But these priestly garments, if we're not careful, these priestly garments can be defiled. See, in the pattern under Aaron, if the priest or the Levites... As they ministered every day there in the, in the temple area, let's say the tabernacle before that. As they ministered at the tabernacle and people daily brought their offerings. They had to bring it, remember I've taught about the morning and evening sacrifice. They had to bring it in between those times. And as they brought them every day, these, these priests were, were killing these animals. And over time, if their garments got really soiled and dirty... They could no longer use them. 
Now, they, would, they could cleanse them if they weren't too bad, but if they got really soiled, they had to get rid of them and get new garments. So in other words, the priest could not minister with filthy garments in the presence of God. That's the pattern. And what does Jude say? Save others, snatching them out of the fire and have mercy on some with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So even though, river of life, you have accepted Christ as your Savior and you're clothed in white. And I believe probably most of you have been baptized in the Holy Ghost. You're clothed with power. And God has touched you and His glory is on you. You can still be defiled. And that's what I'm preaching on tonight that God began. Let's read it again. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That God began to take us deeper in Him and sanctify us throughout our whole spirit, soul, and body. That our garments are going to be pure because the Bible says He's coming for a bride without spot or blemish. There, there's not going to be any place in our lives that is defiled. And I believe what God is doing is in river of life as he continues to take us deeper in his glory along this journey god is also taking us deeper in purifying us how many guys would say in 2019 that you are more sanctified and pure than you were two years ago as god is deeply consecrating us he's purifying us and taking us deeper in him there is a purity there but with that, he's taking us deeper in his presence. And I love, there was a vision, or a dream rather, that Carol Arnott had, uh, the Toronto Revival she was sharing. And you can find this on YouTube, and I really recommend people um, go to it and look it up. But anyway, she was sharing about a dream she had had about the coming glory. And she saw the glory of God beginning to come into the church in greater measure. And she said that people better really repent. And deal with hidden sins because this glory would be dangerous for people that are playing games and let me just remind you about Ananias and Sapphira we all want the glory of God to increase but that means that there's not gonna be playing games either amen so people are here they worship God then they're gonna go out and live in unrepentant sin it don't work that way I'm not saying people are perfect people are gonna make mistakes here and there but God's looking for people that will be quick to repent and not justify it and continue to live in unrepentant sin and then come into his presence. Zephaniah, now here's the pattern. Zephaniah 1.7. Looking back into the prophets, it says, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He's consecrated his guests. Then it will come about on the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes, the kings, and the, the king's sons, and all who clothe themselves with foreign garments. See, if a priest came into God's presence, into the tabernacle, he was supposed to be wearing prescribed garments. But if he came in and he tried to minister unto God in his street clothes, he was coming as a foreigner. He was coming in with foreign garments. Are you hearing me? 
And he had to wear the garments that were provided for him. And so look at this. Now you see Matthew 21 is going to make a little bit more sense. And so we read the parable of the wedding feast. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. How many of you guys are looking for the marriage supper of the Lamb? We're looking for that wedding feast. There's going to be a catching away where the Lord meets us in the air. The Bible says it will be so. And I'm looking for it like a thief in the night. But we're called to live as though the Lord could come any moment. And so we're looking for that. And it says here, it started with Israel. Ready? It says he sent out his slaves or his servants to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come. How many people, when Jesus was walking the streets of Jerusalem and ministering in Israel, that the wedding feet, there was a call for them to accept him, but they were unwilling to accept him, unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who had been invited, behold, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my and fattened my livestock and butchered and everything is ready come to the wedding feast now Jesus has ascended the early church are going out calling for repentance Peter's ministering in Jerusalem I mean all throughout Israel the early church was a witness but yet Israel by and large did not repent but they paid no attention and went their way one to his farm another to his business and the rest his servants seized and mistreated and killed them and we all know the early church many of them were martyred and the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire in 70 AD 40 years after the ministry of Jesus began 40 years 40 is the number of testing God allowed Titus and Vespasian, these guys, to come in and destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were, are not worthy. Go, therefore, to the highways, as many as you can find, and invite to the wedding feast. Those servants went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. So now the gospel has been going all over the world. Verse 11. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, now here's the warning. He saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. Now this would be awkward, embarrassing. See, in those days when a king invited people to come, he knew that some were poor and some were wealthy, and, and so he would provide garments for everybody. But if somebody was too arrogant to, to wear the garments that were provided for them and just simply came in their own street clothes, anyway, the king said to him, Friend, how'd you get in here? <laughs> and the man was speechless. And the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him out in the outer darkness. In that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. You know what this is saying? 
we need to have the garments that God's provided for us, the priestly garments, but we also need to keep them undefiled. Amen? So I want to close with a couple things. I'm going to give you some areas of your life, but this week I want us to take some time, River of Life, and I want you to really pray into this. But this week, take notes with you and begin this week to pray and ask God. I believe if people will be hearers and doers, it's going to work for you. But there's a lot of times, unfortunately, that every pastor, we, you know, sometimes there's some people that hear and apply it, and some people don't. If you if you apply it, I believe it'll help you. But this week, pray and ask God to show you: Is there any sin of unforgiveness in your life this week? Let God bring up people, maybe people you haven't thought of in years. Is there somebody that you really haven't forgiven from your heart? And let God bring that up this week. And also any area of iniquity. The greatest iniquity is probably pride. But any iniquity drive. I don't have time to teach on iniquity. But, but iniquity is not something that's just somebody sins and then they repent. And that's the end of it. Iniquity is something in somebody that they continually have a struggle there. Usually you'll see it in a family alcoholism sexual sins a draw toward the occult but it's something maybe violent maybe they have a tendency to be bitter and hold grudges these things are iniquity it's not just a matter of something that you you simply do in passing and you say lord i'm so sorry i repent and that's the end of it this is something that you can look over your life and you can see that it was a continual struggle for you in that area. And if you're honest about it and you'll look at your family, you'll see that it's been a pattern probably in your family too. You struggled with being bitter and holding grudges and your mom struggles with it too. See what I'm saying? You struggle with pornography, but you'll look at it, maybe your dad or your granddad did too. It's something that's usually hereditary and it's a bondage. But how many of you guys know that Jesus was bruised for our iniquity? So this week, I want people to really pray about this and ask God, show me, help me to see the places in my life where there's unforgiveness or there's iniquity in my life. And I know from experience that if people will really humble them, themselves before God and they will pray and they will fast and get on their face before God and say, Lord, forgive me for this iniquity that's been in me. I see it. I see it in my family. I ask your forgiveness for it in me. I ask your forgiveness for it in my family. And I'm asking you to take this out of me by the roots and kill it, that God will begin to pull that out of you. And he'll set you free from it. I remember there was one man that was saying, he had a testimony he was sharing, I believe it was on the 700 Club, and he was saying that he had had years where he was tormented. He said sexually, he just, he said there was something from his childhood that he just, he felt like he could not fully get control. I mean, he was trying, 
He would discipline himself. He did everything he knew to do. And he was just desperate. He was crying out to Jesus, please help me. And he said that he felt literally like something God just took down inside of him and just pulled something out of him by the roots. And he said from that day forward, he hasn't dealt with it anymore. That probably was iniquity, although it could have been a demonic thing as well. But God wants to deliver people. So this week, these are areas that we need to pray about. Forgiveness, that we're repenting of any sins in our lives, hidden sins, iniquity drives. And God wants to set people free, whether it be a, a generational curse or, or some kind of a stronghold that's been there or driving out something demonic that's been tormenting. God wants to deliver people. He wants to set people free. I think that's all I'm going to deal with tonight. But as a church too, let me tell you, this more falls on the responsibility of the leaders, but there's got to be discernment in a church also to keep things pure. I know a lot of you guys already know this, but it bears repeating, especially for recordings, because a lot of people maybe have never heard these sort of things. But there is a true story of a woman that she got saved, and so she was telling this now as a Christian. But there was a time, she said, that she was a practicing witch, and she was going faithfully to a church because she was there to infiltrate that church. And try to cause problems, you know. This is not uncommon. This is actually, unfortunately, very common. And she was very good at pretending to be a Christian. So everybody thought she was a Christian. And she said, though, that people needed to have discernment. Because she said, as a witch, there was a lady that was down in the altar. That was just a sincere Christian. And she was really tormented. She, she needed to be delivered from a spirit and they were praying for her and this witch knew that that lady needed to be delivered and listen to what I'm about to say she wanted her demon so she goes down and she said well can I pray for her? nobody tests the spirit they're like yeah sure you know and she's under her breath saying asking that demon to come into her which it did well this lady feels a release and feels freed up from something and everybody thinks that this witch is some great Christian. <laughs> Later, she gave her life to Jesus and is telling this story, telling people you need to have a little bit more common sense about you and test the spirits. Amen? There was a man, prophetic man, powerful man of God, totally different story. And this, this particular man really was, was known. He was, he was very prophetic, had a lot of discernment about him. And he was praying for people on the altar. And he comes upon this woman. He's praying for people. Gets to this woman. He just felt the Holy Spirit say, do not pray for her. And he drew his hand back. And this lady kept saying, I want you to pray for me. And he said, the Lord's not letting me. And finally, it came out what was really going on. This lady was there. <laughs> she was a witch that wanted him to cast a demon out of her so that she could go home and get a more powerful demon. Of course, he wasn't going to do it. 
she left mad. God help us. There was another story. I'm sharing these for a reason. Another story, a man, um, Dr. Cho, who I really love. Um, he's one of my favorite preachers. I love his writings. But he was ministering in Korea, and now Dr. Cho, they saw a great revival. And so there was a lot of people coming. They, they had a very large group of people. And it was hard to keep an eye on everything, but he did his absolute best to do that. But you're dealing with, with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And he noticed that one day there was a woman that off in the corner was praying for people. And she had a line of people that were lining up for prayer. And he was listening. She was giving him prophetic words. And he said that even though some, somewhat of it, it was accurate, but he said that there was, this, there was something about it that didn't sit right with him. It seemed to be negative, And he just felt uneasy in his spirit. And so he went home and asked the Lord, you know, what's going on the Lord said that she's not prophesying from the Holy Spirit he says she's using a familiar spirit and so the next week he went up to her in love he was real nice about it but he said I feel the Lord has told me that you're not prophesying out of the Holy Spirit you're prophesying out of a familiar spirit and you're not going to do it anymore until you deal with that and of course she got mad and left instead of dealing with it see here's what humility would be thank you for telling me help me to get free but here's pride. No, I'm not. I'm right. You're wrong and leave. Go to the next church and start doing the same thing again. That's unfortunately common. And finally, I'll give one more story. I'm just sharing these because I don't want people to just accept everything at face value. You, the Bible says to test the spirits, okay? And we have to use wisdom. And I love revival. I love the move of God. I love the move of the Holy Spirit, the gifts, and all that. But not everything out there that's supernatural is God. Amen. All right. So, there was a story of this minister. Back in the 40s and 50s time frame, there was a great, great revival. And it was coined the phrase, the latter rain revival. And during those times, started with William Branham. I believe it ended with A.A. Allen. I believe he passed in like 64 but during that time frame there, there was, there was a great move of God with healings and miracles, signs and wonders, and it was powerful. You remember people like Oral Roberts. And there was many, many people. Well, there was, a, there was so many that, I mean, there's a lot of people you've never heard of, but they were moving in great power. And um, there was one of these ministers, as he got older, was on his deathbed. And his son was there with him, and his son was saying, well, Dad, I'll, I'll see you in heaven, and I'm going to miss you. And his dad was really crying. And his dad was saying, son, you're not going to see me in heaven. And his son said, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, at some point in time during the ministry, he said, my ministry was based on the healings and the miracles that were happening. And he said, I was struggling with sin. And so the anointing was drying up and the miracles were drying up. And he said, I began to operate in a familiar type spirit to see the healings and miracles continue. And he said, I knew it wasn't God, but I didn't want the ministry to slow down or the offerings to dry up. And I kept operating like this. That's a serious, 
anyway, and I pray that I, I, that I got this from a very, very, very credible source, somebody that knew this. But anyway, I pray that that man before he died was able to deal with that, but that's serious. And um, we need to make sure and test things, but also remain open to God, okay? Not to be hyper-spiritual and weird where, you know, everything's a demon either. So just test the spirit to know what's of God and what's not because I know that some great, great revivals in times past that I was graced to be in some of these meetings like Brownsville, Toronto, and other great revivals. But, you know, the Holy Spirit would move and the Holy Spirit was moving so powerful that people would shake, people would fall, people would, would wail, people would laugh. And I was just manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times religious people that's never been around a move of God, they're not familiar with that level of power. And they don't think it's God. And they reject the move of the Holy Spirit. So don't do that. Because you can miss a move of God. You can leave out and go back to a dry place spiritually and be critical and not want a move of God and think it's all the devil if you want. But I'm not going to miss what God has for me. All right. So, Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for the power of your spirit. And I thank you for the power of your word. And, Lord, I pray tonight as we go through this week that everybody will take this really serious and pray this week that God show us if there's any unforgiveness or any iniquity drives that we need to deal with. And, Lord, I pray that you'll bring revelation. I pray that tonight everybody's agreeing with me. Father, we ask you to bring revelation this week. Lord, I pray that you'll make it crystal clear that it will come up. If there's somebody that we've never forgave them, let their face come up in our minds this week so that we can forgive them. If there's been something in our lives that we maybe we thought we dealt with it, but you know that we haven't. We may think it's not there, but you know it's there. Let that this week come up in a healthy way so we can see it and we can deal with it in jesus name lord we thank you for it amen